First of all, what's a HBC school? HBCU, you mean, bro? I know what you meant. HBCU, Charlemagne the God, smart ass. But well, you forgot the U. I didn't know what you was talking about. Whatever. But like, <laughs> you look, you don't see South Carolina State on TV. They don't They don't get games. ESPN should play HBC games. I agree. Oh, I agree with you. I definitely agree. I with agree. You. It's up to you know what though. It's up to those 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 superstar athletes from those states. Somebody's gonna have to make the sacrifice to say, you know what. Uh, white ice is not colder, and I'm gonna go to an HBCU. I'm gonna take my talents to an HBCU. That's the only way they're gonna start getting a them, couple them, of them are doing it. Though the young lady that went to yeah, Hampton, she plays that. baseball. Well, and another brother it. went to uh, Howard, he plays basketball. So there's a couple of them doing it though. Yeah, but still, ESPN is not put them on it. Most kids want to shine. They want to go right. to a, a D1 school so they can get the publicity, be a household name. But they don't get that. So I'm, I feel like ESPN should take the initiative to, to have a of game day just HBCU um, schools so they can get some kind of shine because if not, man, that's the reason why they don't want to go. You right? Why? I agree with you. I don't BET or Revolt, maybe BET or Revolt should start airing them games. Exactly. I don't know how that works. Exactly. I don't know how that works with TV contracts, but I do think it's a, I, I, I do agree with you, sir. Thank you, brother. Hello, who's this? This is Isaiah. Isaiah, what up? Get it off your chest. Uh, I just wanted to get off my chest. Um, I'm from Patterson and there's nothing for none of the good-looking people to do here. There's nothing to do in Patterson? Nah, not for the good-looking people. Not for mean? the good-looking people. Uh, Jersey's open. What are you talking about? You, you said the go good-looking people? I'm talking about Patterson. I want stuff in Patterson. You mean like you said the good-looking people? Yeah, the good-looking people. I can think of a million things for good-looking people to do in Patterson. Number one is get robbed. <laughs> oh, nah. See, that's why we can't do nothing here. There's a lot of restaurants open in Patterson. I go to all the Peruvian spots already. Okay, so what else do you want to do? It's coronavirus. Like, we're in a pandemic. Read a book. You you work? I'm saying after. I'm saying after. Are you born and raised in Patterson, sir? Yeah. How old are you? I'm 22. Oh, man, see, what you should have done is you should have got you um, some good education and you should have done good in high school so you could have went off to college. I did. Oh, you went to college? Yeah. Where you went to school at? PCCC. I went to Pathé County Community College. Oh, okay. Leave Patterson. It's okay to leave Patterson. Hello, who's this? Yo, what's up? Jay Lee, Chicken Hair, Railway, South Carolina. South Crack. What's happening, brother? Get it off your chest. Man, I just, I just came around to take what's up with y'all, man. I want to bless y'all. I want to do a quick little freestyle real quick next time with y'all. Oh, oh Lord. Lord. I swear if you wasn't from South Carolina, I would shut this down, but right, go ahead. On, go man. ahead, brother. Go ahead. Right. Check this out, though. My life feel the same way. Sometimes I feel like I wake up to the same day trying to make a living, man. I'm trying to make it out. I'm trying to make sure that my family do it so we ain't spending that. So every day I hustle, yeah, I pray to God daily. Watch me in these streets and somebody will try to play me and to watch over my ears. Oh, so I'm going to really be snaking. So I keep my great clothes. Yo, 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 you got to slow that yeah. down. You got to slow that yeah. down, my South Carolina brethren. You're going too fast. Like, what you going, what's okay. up? You're rapping like your you. life depends on it. Who hung up on him? 
Drum, that's disrespectful, Drum. That was Drum. Drum, that's disrespectful. Don't hang up on my South Carolina brethren. I'm not going to do this to me. Envy's back. This is all him now. Now yeah. you guys know. You yeah. said this is Envy's back and it's all him. Wow. Man, shut up. Envy's back. You was like, Envy's back and it's all him. <laughs> wow. Goodness. <laughs> God Thank you, bro. damn. Jesus Christ. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. I'm telling, I'm telling. Hey, what you doing, man? I'm telling. I'm calling call you. This is your time to get it off your chest. Whether you're mad or blessed. 800-585-1051. We want to hear from you on The <laughs> Breakfast Club. Hello, who's this? Hey, good morning. It's me, Latisha. Hi, DJ MV. Hey, Is. What up, Shar? Hey. Hey. Good morning. Peace, Queen. How are All you? Right. I'm fine. Thank you. Last time I called Charlemagne, you wasn't there, but I'm glad to hear your voice. So I had a question for you, Charlemagne. Um, yes, ma'am. Why are you always Why are you always yawning in the microphone like that? Like, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Y'all simple, like, yeah, simple, so, uh, simple answer. Simple uh-huh. answer. Don't tell me because I'm six, tired because I wake up early in the morning. Don't tell me that. Uh, duh, it's six something in the morning. No, you, you, you're not. <laughs> you're not. On, you're not still yawning. You're not still yawning, wiping cold out your eye at six something in the morning. So you want him to mute the mic when he yawns? Don't nobody want to hear all that? That's just, to me, that's like somebody (laughs) yawning right next to me in my ear. I'd be like, damn, Mm. Char, what are you doing right now? You're like, oh, yeah, because if you're, uh, uh, I don't really know. Well, you're going to hate to know that I pass gas, too, sometimes. Not in my clothes, though. Oh, not yet, yeah. You go to the bathroom and pull your pants down, right? There you go. Anyway, thank you. Oh, one more thing, one more thing. Elijah McClain, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor. Let's do That's it. That's right. There you go. Thank you. I like that. Hello, who's this? I was just about to yawn before she said that, by the way. <laughs> Hello, who's this? Hello. Hey, what's your name, bro? Hey. Hello. Hey. Uh, Money-making Mitch. How y'all doing? Money-making Mitch. You ain't making no money Mitch. right now. You ain't making no money in a recession. Right you crazy. Cut it out, Charlamagne God. How you making money? Tell me how you making money. By giving proper advice on how people supposed should be really cleaning their house, that's enough money for me to, to educate these people. If you really, oh, you finessing? Of course. Um, if you really, really, <laughs> really want to um, kill this coronavirus, all, all hospitals and everybody's home, just start from um, sterilization room. Start from the bathroom, then work your way out. Everything you use in the bathroom, you can use around your whole apartment. Every hospital that's scared. They have training. We um, sterility is important. So if you just expand your sterilization department and make the whole hospital sterile, then everything, every item, every equipment, every instrument can actually be um, used properly. All these numbers, money making Mitch. Let me ask you a question. People actually paying for this advice? Of course they are. Cleaning the bathroom. Clean your bathroom. Actually, I agree. To, I, I agree that you have to do sterilization, but you do know that it's transmitted from person to person, right? Exactly, but it depends on how many people are in your house and do you have a team that's doing sterilization. This is a family. This isn't people from next door coming into my house. I miss now, you. how are you making money, making money off money, this? Yeah, I'm confused. How, how do you make money? Is this, is this, oh, you're talking about financial money. I don't need financial money. I, I don't need no okay. finances. I'm fine. Financial. What other money is there? Um, but, yeah, my money's there, but financially, I'm fine. But the, the other money is the other important money that's in, is information. Knowledge is power. Yeah, correct. Knowledge and, is and, Knowledge is currency. You mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, so so that right there alone, I'm saving lives by telling people. I've served in the military 17 years as a medical officer. I've done I've done all forms of surgery. I've been in so many different situations, and we treat every patient. Now, this is the coronavirus. We treat every patient as if they were HIV. 
Now we have to treat every patient as if they have HIV, corona, um, and all these other um, symptoms. That's, 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 that's pretty dope because now you have to stay on top of sterility for the rest of your life. You understand? Okay. This, this is no. this okay. should be a awakening call. Well, th- thank you, brother, for calling, man. We, we really I don't understand, you, but, you know, to each his own. Oh, so you talking about that type of money. You talking about financial money. What other money is there? I'm, I'm, he, mean, he, meant, he meant currency, that's all. Hello, who's this? Oh, this, this, this Mike, man. Mike, man, what up? Get up what your up, chest, Mike? Mike. Man, I was mad about some stuff, man. Uh, you know, really, man, it took me five years to get through on this joke, man. You waited five years to tell us that? No, I waited five years to talk to y'all, man. I've been calling for five years straight, man. So what do you want to say? What up? Man, man, I just shout out the boys at Rob Buster Incorporated, man. We on our way to work, man. Everybody be Hey, man, it ain't matter. I'm happy to be alive, man. There you go, King. Right, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I appreciate it, man. Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest on the line this morning. Yes, the new senior advisor to the president-elect. That's right, Cedric Richmond. Welcome back, brother. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good morning. You're blessed, black, and highly favored. Congratulations on being named senior advisor to the president, man. T- tell people what that position means, because they didn't know, they didn't even know what co-chair was. <laughs> wait, wait, what does well, it mean? Uh, this is the first time it's not a free position on the Biden campaign, I can tell you that. Uh, let me just, it'll be director of public engagement, which means I'll engage in, uh, interact with everybody from the civil rights community to the LGBTQ community to Black Lives Matter to uh, the Latino community. And I'll be in the White House as a senior advisor to the president for him to bounce stuff off, to have input in decisions. And sometimes, you know, it's that question is who's at the table? Uh, it's my expectation to be at the table. Do you get a chance to breathe and say, yes, we finally made it, we finally did it? Because it was a long fight, and the fight continued for a, a minute. Or do it now you look at it and say, okay, now we got a, a whole lot more to do? Well, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, this president has left uh, chaos and confusion all across the country, especially a raging pandemic. But we, you know, I don't have to tell you all, you know, we have a lot of work to do. When you start talking about systematic racism, when you start talking about addressing Uh, poverty, when you start talking about addressing climate change, when you start talking about addressing uh, police reform, uh, criminal justice reform, all of those things we've talked about, now becomes the time to put up a uh, shut up. And so we have work to do. And that's the part that is uh, the awesome task. I saw you said that this was the hardest decision you've had to make in your life. So what were your reservations? Well, first of all, I haven't had a boss in 21 years, except (laughs) the people who put me in office. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other part was making sure that, you know, it's meaningful. Uh, And Charlemagne, I I will tell you that uh, between you and DL, because both of you all on interviews asked me the same question at some point, which was, who do we hold accountable if things go awry or we don't live up to expectations? And the, the real question was, well, if I don't go in, uh, then I'm cheating people of that voice of all of the people I've convinced to be a part of this movement. And then, you know, it was just to uproot your family and move to D.C. Look, I like D.C., but New Orleans is the best city in the country. And so all of those factors went in. But at the end of the day, it's something I had to do. Was it hard to leave your congressional seat? Absolutely. I mean, uh, first of all, I just got reelected. It's been six elections 
going into my 11th year, assistant to the whip, uh, which is a leadership position in the house. And the more seniority you get, the more you can help your district. But in this broken government that we uh, have now with the Senate controlled by Republicans or could be controlled by Republicans, Mitch McConnell's just going to continue to block everything that's important to us, like the George Floyd Policing Act, which he's blocking, and or the voting rights extension, which he's blocking. So part of it is, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And so if we can't get it done legislatively, Let's uh, go in the executive branch and see what we can get done there. Who do you think should get that seat, your old seat? Oh, look, there's a number of qualified people who are running. And uh, I will uh, look at them. I'll talk to each and every one of them, and I'll probably make a recommendation uh, to the voters. But it's important to keep uh, someone who will put the constituents over ambition or anything like that. So, uh, And look, everybody that's running has a track record, so voters will be able to judge them. How are you navigating through Donald Trump not trying to help with his transition phase? What are you guys able to do to get around that? Well, the good news is Joe Biden has been in the White House before. And uh, so there's some institutional knowledge there, but uh, it's a hindrance. And the sad part about it is it puts Americans at jeopardy. So if we are talking about having a cohesive rollout of the vaccines, if they're ready, it would be nice to know where they are, what's their plan, so that we could come in or adjust their plan or have our own plan ready. But you need to know those type of things, especially on national defense and security briefings. One of the glaring items in the 9-11 report was that because it wasn't a smooth transition, there were gaps and the terrorists were able to exploit those gaps. So those are the things you don't want to happen. But uh, there are a number of people who used to be in the Trump administration that is volunteering information. And so we're doing the best we can with what we got. Uh, but I don't think that's adequate. And we know it's not adequate uh, for the American people. So we just, you know, hopefully expect a temp temper tantrum to stop and we can get to transition and get ready for one, a peaceful transition, but two, a moving presidency coming up. And I was going to ask, is there any way to forcefully do that by law, you know, the fact that he's lost, all these states are coming and say, you know, now, now that you did leave, that, that, that you did lose, is there any way to forcefully say, no, we need this information, you have to, or you go to jail? Is that possible, or no, that doesn't happen like that? Look, there's some legal routes you can take, but I'll just tell you from my time in Congress, when Donald Trump tells his cabinet secretaries not to cooperate with committee investigations, to ignore our subpoenas, we hold them in contempt, and then nothing still happens. Uh, this is a lawless bunch that is in uh, the White House right now. And, uh, you know, without Donald Trump freeing them up, I expect them to continue to uh, be a problem. However, uh, I do think at some point uh, Donald Trump is going to realize that uh, it's bigger than him. Uh, for the first time, I think he will understand that this is not all about him. Or he'll just take his ball and go home and say, you know, if y'all want Sleepy Joe, take Sleepy Joe. Y'all will want me back in four years, so I'm taking my ball and going home. Uh, whatever it looks like, it just needs to happen so that we can get on with the business of transition and preparing to run the greatest country on earth. All right, we got more with Cedric Richmond. When we come back, don't move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Cedric Richmond. Charlamagne? Cedric, are you ready for all the smoke that's going to come your way, though? Because I posted you on my Instagram yesterday, uh, a couple of days ago, congratulating you. And immediately, people started coming with all types of, 
you know, uh, rhetoric. Some uh, was climate advocates and leaders who fight against toxic air pollution saying that he's terrible for the environment because he got ties to the oil and gas industry. But what do you say to that? Look, I understand their concern. Uh, they also have to understand that in my congressional district, uh, we have hundreds of thousands of jobs tied to uh, people showing up working every day, uh, anywhere from uh, hotels to oil and gas uh, to refineries. And that's just the district that I represent. But what I would just tell them is that they all applaud Don McEachin as being one of the leaders on environmental justice. Well, when we were deciding to put our uh, climate plan together, uh, it was me that called Don McEachin, who's a dear friend of mine, and said, hey, we want the best environmental justice plan that we can find, and we want you at the table, and I want you involved. So uh, I know uh, the damage that's going on out there, and I think we have assembled a team to put it together, and we had a robust uh, climate change uh, plan. And by the way, uh, Joe Biden and his climate plan won the presidency. Nobody else did. Yeah, but they, 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 that's why they were kind of upset, too, because they said that, uh, you you raked in big money from the fossil fuel industry and, and voted to help oil and gas companies. Is that true? No, that's not true. No, I did receive contributions from the oil and gas company. They're businesses in my district. And just because you write a check doesn't mean you own it. And at mm -hmm. some point, uh, the activists are going to have to understand that. Man, you, you're the third politician I heard say that, and it makes perfect sense to me. Like, you can... You know, have somebody donate to your campaign, but as long as you're still serving the interests of the people and not them, what's the problem? Environmentalists have also donated to my campaign. So, look, I just think that it's a, it's a distraction. And when, you know, people are out there just trying to get it done, uh, we should come together, especially when you win an election. The fact that Democrats are fighting after we win makes absolutely no sense. We should be at the table figuring out where we go from here. And I think that's what Joe Biden wants to do. So, uh, look... Sunrise and all the environmental groups, I'm going to reach out to them and, and make sure that they understand that this is the Biden climate plan. This is the agenda we're going to embark on. So let's take people out of it, focus on the plan. And so I forgot who said it. It might have been King, but I heard Obama repeat it before. It's not about the man. It's about the plan. Mm -hmm. And I believe in Joe Biden's uh, climate plan and his environmental justice plan. I was going to ask, how do you undo the damage done by the president now and his constituents who are saying that there's voter fraud and this whole election was rigged and there's a lot of people who don't believe in the system. So how do you undo that damage? Well, one, first by making sure we get to January 20th and watch him leave the White House and watch Joe Biden go into the White House. Because I think what we've seen over the campaign is that Joe Biden, uh, people believe him and he can restore trust in government. The election system, the Trumpsters out there that believe that somebody stole the election, they're going to believe that no matter what. I mean, they created the term alternative facts, and people believe it, unfortunately. Uh, he has a percentage of the population that will believe whatever he says. He says the news media is lying, and they believe it. So it's upon us, once we take office, to make sure we restore people's faith in government, restore the faith in the election system. You have Republican governors, Republican Secretary of State, like in Georgia, saying we had a recount, Joe Biden's the winner, the election was fair, there was no fraud, and those people who are going to choose to believe uh, the alternative facts are just going to believe that. Now, now, how can we help you and Senator Harris and everybody in the White House keep those promises for, 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 for black people? How can, how can we help on the ground? Well, I think you have to keep raising issues. 
we don't get a pass because we won. And uh, I think that that's important. And I think I said it on this show before, Charlemagne, but I'll try to give you the 30-second of it. When, when Jesse Jackson, John Lewis, and Martin Luther King, and all those people, not Martin, but when the civil rights leaders went in to visit Lyndon Johnson after the passage of the Civil Rights Act that told him they needed a Voting Rights Act, he said, I can't do it. They said, no, you have to do it. He said, I want to do it, but I don't have the political capital or the will of the people to do it. So help me by when you leave this room, make me do it. Go create the environment out there, create the demand for that change that will help me usher it in. So to the extent that people are still talking about uh, Black Lives Matter movement, whether it helped or hurt, Black Lives Matter movement is a partner in the struggle for progress in this country and we recognize it, we applaud them. And the more that they push, the more that we're able to do. And so. Uh, that's what we need from you, too. I mean, we have to make sure that our people are engaged. And if that means our people are engaged enough to the point where they are criticizing our action or inaction, well, that's just a consequence of it. But it moves the needle forward. So just keep doing what you're doing, being an honest voice, uh, plain spoken, keeping it real, however, you know, being woke, however we describe it or however the young people say it. That's what we need from you. And so young people need the the truth and the real truth. And the more it incentivizes them to be a part of the process, I think that that is very, very important. You know, um, you know, and I know you're part of the administration, but on a scale of one to, let's say, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, do you have faith in the Biden-Harris administration to really make transformative change for the black community? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the hindrance is the fact that we did not pick up uh, the Senate yet. And hopefully we can pick up those two seats in Georgia. Uh, we need the people in Georgia to just really uh, show up. Mm -hmm. But the will is there. And, you know, my grandmother used to say, where there's the will, there's a way. And so I believe that uh, both of them want to be very transformative and leave a legacy bigger and better than the 64 uh, Civil Rights Act, 65 Voting Rights Act. And part of what we want to do is to extend that Voting Rights Act, which has lapsed since the Supreme Court decision that gutted it. But by the way, I, I just want to also throw in there that, you know, Vice President Biden uh, did break a barrier already and show some uh, courage and the ability to think out of the box and take chances by picking not only the first woman, but the first black woman to be a vice president candidate on a major ticket. And by the way, at the end of the day, as I look at this, I don't think there's another ticket that would have beat Donald Trump as close as this election was. I think Senator Harris was a vital part of the ticket. And I think Joe's authenticity and people knowing him is what uh, earned him the title of president-elect and soon to be 46th president of the United States. I agree with you. I just, I just, you know, I just want more than a symbolism at this point. That's all. You know what I mean? No, look, I, I agree with you. I, I would just say if you want to see what somebody's going to do in the future, just look at their past actions. And I think that that should at least earn, you know, a sense of, of you know, goodwill. Uh, not saying that that goodwill should last in perpetuity, but I think it's, it sets the tone for what type of administration this wants to be. And I would just tell you, as talking to President-elect Joe Biden, uh, it is very clear that he wants to empower and do more for uh, the African-American community than in a, any president before him. And, you know, there are other issues he wants to have that legacy on, but he is 
uh, very set on making sure that, uh, you know, his uh, lift every voice agenda is actually implemented. Well, we're going to be on his ass, so don't change your number. Okay, Cedric. <laughs> All right. well, Cedric, we appreciate you for checking in, man. And call, and call, you can call yeah. Life Cube back now. <laughs> You're so petty. <laughs> it's Cedric Richmond. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Thank you, brother. It's topic time. Call 800-585-1051 to join into the discussion with The Breakfast Club. Talk about it. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Now, if you're just joining us, we're asking 800-585-1051, would you date yourself? That is the question. Yes, this came from a tweet that you put up. It's not a tweet from what I came up. We, I was talking uh, about it on my podcast. No. It's no, not true. I was no. talking about it on my podcast. Would you date? Oh, gosh. Envy posted this morning, flashback Friday, shout to this beautiful woman at DJ Envy. I woke up for the first time and she wasn't laying next to me. I don't know what Envy's going through, but um. <laughs> now, never forget, Envy did have sex with himself previously. Oh, yeah, the nine and a half inch dildo. True, true, true. But that's just well, sex. I don't know. Would, I don't know if he's that big, but it was, you know. That's just sex, though. Would you date yourself, though? I'm going to human resources. Right. Well, what happened was I, I texted, I put on Instagram a picture of my wife and I said she wasn't laying next to me. My wife doesn't have a Twitter, so it goes on Twitter automatically and because she doesn't have a Twitter, they just put my name at DJ Envy. That's what it is. You can go to Instagram and see the posts. But anyway, it doesn't on have my to podcast, go on Twitter automatically. It does on mine. When I hit Instagram, it automatically does Twitter as well. Um, but like I was saying on my podcast, we were talking about would you date yourself? You know, looking at yourself now, would you date yourself? Let me ask you, Charlemagne. Uh, I know that you're small, you're tiny. Uh, you have a, okay. a, a lot of um, insecurities, uh, different colors on your face. Would you date yourself, bro? First of all, I don't know wow. what you're talking about. Um, the old version of like me. Bottom. The bottom. <laughs> the little messy bottom. Little messy you bottom. deserve yourself. You're Listen. small. <laughs> Listen, the, oh, this, the, the old version of me that led with ego, no. This version of me that leads with soul, yes. That's because... I have done the work on myself, you know, through therapy and having a sacred purpose coach. I practice mindfulness in a real way. And the greatest compliment that I receive nowadays is people tell me how much I evolved. So when I look back at the old me and listen to things I used to say, things I used to do, I didn't love myself. I didn't love myself like I thought I did. I, I was a hurt individual and hurt people hurt people. And I led with my trauma in a lot of situations, but I went on a journey of healing and I'm still healing. Uh, in a lot of ways, but I know that I'm connected to this great universe that God built and God built me to be a part of it. So I feel whole. So this whole version of me, yes, I would date this whole version of me. That's that I'm, I'm, I'm not a broken human with a wounded ego anymore. So yes, I would, I would date this version of me. I am a catch. All right. I, you're not a catch, but I said the same thing, you know, before I had an ego, I was insecure. No, I wouldn't have dated me. And I'm thank God gear stayed with me. Uh, now, yeah, I'm, I'm a different individual. I have changed. I have evolved and I continue to evolve. Now, what about you, Yee? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think absolutely I've been what? an amazing... <laughs> I, I would think myself. I think I'm an amazing girlfriend. All my ex-boyfriends love me. I don't have any of those issues. <laughs> I think I've just made poor decisions when it comes to the men that I dated. But no, I'm a very, like, nice, accommodating person. I That's go above and beyond. That's lie. You feeling yourself. What about the boy you got... The boyfriend you got beat up? What about the boyfriend <laughs> you left at the game <laughs> when... He y'all was sitting in row three hundred, and then you moved to the to the the court side with, with Jay Z. With, with Jay Z, yeah. What about that boy? That's the same guy, I believe. 
Well, number one, okay, he still wanted to date me after that, and I still was very nice to him. But he was not my boyfriend. We just went out a few times. It wasn't that serious. But, you know, I, yeah, I don't he, think... He was a good guy. I like that I get what you're saying. You, you're saying she's Do you the wanna, woman you want to date him? No, I'm mad. That's what it sounds like. He <laughs> is the woman that all her exes still want to be with. But him. Yeah, I think that I, I, but- I do. I do believe that I'm a, I'm a good girlfriend though, because I'm the type of person that I do like everything for you that I can. I always do like special surprises. You know, I'm really amazing in bed. So yeah, I think I'm. Whoa, like- whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa <laughs> you feeling whoa. yourself? Feeling myself? <laughs> feeling myself? All right, let's go to the phone lines. Eight hundred five eight five one zero five one. Hello, who's this? It's Disha. Hey, Disha. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Disha. We're asking, would you date yourself, Mama? Um, I would have to say I would agree with or agree with you, DJ. Like old me, no, I wouldn't. Like I was like super like aggressive, and it was like hard for me to kind of let people in, and I didn't really care about people's feelings. But it really took me to kind of like grow up and realize that not everything is about you. And mm-hmm. so, like now, I would date myself. I would actually marry myself. But, okay. you know, old me, most definitely not. Nah, no. It's, it's very important what you just said. You said that, um, you said uh, that you, would you say you, you wouldn't have dated yourself because of what? It's something you said that made me think about uh, you were leading with ego. Oh, I was very, like, self-centered, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't there let you go. people in. Yes, you were leading with ego and not your soul. That's what that is yeah, about. That's most, what that's about. Uh, and I, I wouldn't even give a person, like, a chance to even... Like, I was just very standoffish when it comes, like, I always kind of was scared of love, like, just seeing it, how, it, how what I seen what love was growing up. So I That's was right. always scared to even deal with that. But as I got older, I realized that, you know, it's, it's, you know, love and relationship and stuff is how you make it. And if typically if you put, like, a good foot forward, then you'll get something back in return. So, like, I look at things like that now, so I feel like, yeah, I most definitely would date myself now. Okay. Well, continue to do the work on yourself. Thank you, Mama. Hello, who's this? Yeah, this is Troy. Hey, Troy. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing, man? Thank you for taking my call. Hey, I Troy. Got a, uh, hey. I got a serious question, and no, no one has been able to answer. But I, okay. You know, I, I'm ex, I'm ex military, retired military, and you know, I, I don't like to talk about a president. I'm, so I'm gonna use that term, that man. I always hear that man say, I've done more for African-Americans than any other president. Can you enlighten me on what he did for us? No, I can't. But that's not what we're discussing right now. Could you we're just asking, would you date would yourself, you, bro? Would you date, would you date yourself, brother? You're looking at yourself now. Would you date yourself, oh, man? No. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm too. I'm no, too he can't too. even stay on topic. Yeah. Too, what? Hello? Hey. God damn, y'all made him look in the mirror and he hung up on himself. He was like, Jesus Christ. Christ. He answered that he wouldn't date himself so matter-of-factly. I like, wanted to talk like, oh, to No, no, no way. Hello, who's this? This is Denise Booth. Hey, we're asking, would you date yourself, mama? 1,000%. I was married to Antonio Tarver, the fourth-time like, heavyweight champion in the world, and I still was okay. surprised. <laughs> you, mar- you, ma- you were married to Antonio Tarver? And you stuck up for me, Mr. Charlemagne. I did. What happened? Tell me what happened. You were um, on the Wendy Williams show at the time, and um, Superhead was doing an interview, and mm-hmm. you had got so mad at her. You were just like, "Why is you putting her name in the book? Why are you putting her in the book?" 
And I never even read the book, and I wrote my own book. It's called Everything That Glitters. It's on denisebothauthor.com, and it just came out. And I, I really think women need to know that we give men so much more power, and women have the strength beyond we, we could ever imagine. Like women I was are the just, strongest species. I, I do agree black women are the strongest species. I was just watching Antonio Tarver on Rocky Balboa like yesterday. It was on MTV2 or something. Okay. And my book is about Rocky Balboa as well. I was his wife at that time. You was Rocky Balboa's wife? Oh, during no, while, he, while he was filming the movie. No, I was, right. no, I was Antonio Tarver's wife when he was a superstar. Charlemagne, is it too early? It is too early for him. Like, wow, you did it, Rocky Balboa and Antonio. I, like, <laughs> I thought she missed the best of the loan. And DJ Envy, I actually met you as well. I helped you, DJ Envy, at rehab. You helped me at you rehab. DJ Envy at rehab? That's kind of crazy. She's this talking about the club. Too many She's connections. Nope, stop oh. right now. Why was Envy in rehab? Oh, I always thought he was on drugs. You Tell you me, man. No, you you no judgment. You should ask him. Why he was you, there. He was having, and why were you in rehab, He might have liked getting, you know, situated. How do you how do you Wait. have fun in rehab? She's not talking about rehab. She's talking about rehab the club. Why are you, I DJ. Why are you so quiet, DJ Envy? I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm hoping you're talking about rehab the club. I've never been to any other rehab. Is this in the no, book I as well? It was it was at the nightclub. It was I mean at the at the at the day party. At Vegas. What year was this? Oh. What year was, was that? This? My birthday? No, they, they, it was like Memorial Day weekend. They hired you to DJ. Yeah. What year was this? Ah. Well. Uh, uh, so I want to say maybe three See, years ago. <laughs> They were, they definitely they definitely were trying to make it a thing. All right. Well, thank you for calling, Mama. What's the moral of the story, guys? The moral of the story is be someone you would date. That's all. Be somebody that leads with soul and not ego. The person that leads with soul is the person you want to date. The person that leads with ego, run. All right. Keep it locked. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got some special guests in the building. Yes, indeed. We have Tamika Mallory and my son. Greetings. Yes. Morning, hey, Until freedom. Yes. Hey. Yes. And today is a big day because y'all launching uh, the Street Politician podcast on Black that Effect iHeartRadio. That's right. That's that right. True. That is true. Thank you so much. Uh, Lenar, for the opportunity to be a part of your new endeavor with the Black Effect Network. Um, it feels really good to be in a place where you can be as black as you want to be. Because you, you said black, 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 That's right. Why do y'all call yourself street politicians? Um, I think for me, we 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 decided that um that there was a disconnect from the streets in politics. You know, coming from communities, marginalized communities, black culture, hip-hop culture, a lot of us in our community don't feel connected to politics. And, you know, and me and Tamika being on the forefront of the civil rights and advocacy work that we do, we understand that disconnect. And we 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 feel like we know how to translate from the streets to the suites, as we say. Mm -hmm. You know, so we wanted to create a show, you know, a platform where we talked about hip-hop culture, when we talked about how it integrates and intertwines with politics and how everybody definitely has a role and can play a role. You know, I remember going to a club and DJ Self seen me in there when I started doing advocacy work. We was in the strip club and he was like, what you doing in here? I say the same thing you're doing here. I'm, I'm here watching some strippers. He's like, nah, you ain't supposed to be in here. You know, you do. I'm like, nah, that's, and then that's the disconnect. Y'all think because we actually on the front lines and we do work, for civil rights and we fight for the rights of our people, that we're not 
for the culture and we're not actually the same people like you. So that makes people feel like they don't have an intersection into this work. So, you know, our platform is showing that intersection, showing how you can be of hip hop culture, you can like the strip club, you can like Cardi B, and you can still go and, and do a meeting with Jesse Jackson and sit down, you know, with Reverend Al Sharpton and be at, in the t at the table doing civil rights work. So mm -hmm. when you only interview people uh, that have your same views or let's say for the podcast, when you talk with somebody like a little Wayne or even like a little pimp, I mean, little pump or, you know, no. artists. <laughs> that, that was shade. <laughs> like, like when you have conversations with people that don't necessarily view or have the same views as you. I mean, I will to me. And we always, we, we, we all agree with yeah. each other. We so. don't agree with each other. So, you know, <laughs> That's that's what our podcast was pretty much based. We got a lot of different views. We share the same, you know, the same passion for the movement, but we definitely have different views. And sometimes on the show, you know, we get into debates. So we, I definitely want to bring somebody up that has a different point of view than me and try to get to understand them. Now, you can't, I can bring you up when you have a different point of view, right? But I can't morally conflict with you. I don't even want to give a platform to somebody that I'm morally conflict and understand that you getting on my platform is elevating your voice to a moral standard that doesn't coincide with mine. Now that's something different. So like a Takashi 69, if he wants to talk about his documentary that's out. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> and what about you, Tamika? What what are your thoughts on people that don't necessarily uh, agree with your views? You know, well, like I said, my son and I uh have conflict. And, you know, we've been doing street politicians for a while, but now we have a bigger platform with this um, podcast. And I think this election cycle has sort of helped us see where we align more than we used to think we did, because we used to argue about everything. But as the election played out and we really got to understand the trauma of our communities, I think we began to have conversations where we're kind of trying to see eye to eye. So that's one part of it. I have no problem with talking to people that I don't necessarily agree with. However, I, I, I think my son's sentiments are so true that I'm not trying to elevate people and provide, um, you know, false narratives to our community because it's just too serious right now. Like we just have so much that's at stake and we cannot be sitting up playing around or have, you know, joking around with people's lives because when young people particularly hear points of views, sometimes they can take the wrong things from certain people just because of the packaging and they begin to apply those things to their real lives. And we can't afford to do that in this moment. And I think the other reason why I wanted it to be called Street Politicians is because people think, uh, similar to what my son was saying, that we live in a bubble that we don't understand like what's going on in the world. How do we deal with the relational issues in our community as well? Because it's politics in a marriage in you know, trying to get married, trying to fall in love. It's politics in everything that we do in our lives. And I think we have a way of being able to show people the connection. Gotcha. What do you think about people having views like supporting a Donald Trump, right? And we saw some hip hop artists come forward and show their support for him. But other people will say, okay, well, everybody's allowed to have a different opinion. We shouldn't uh, discredit people just because of who they're voting for. What are your thoughts on that? They should have that opinion somewhere else because I'm just, you know, like I said, I can't, I can't even really be in conversation with individuals who are trying to help me understand why Donald Trump is good for our people, knowing that this man has literally been a disaster that killed 240,000 individuals. But certainly I'm not trying to have 
you know, um, Charlemagne's friend and, and Killer Mike's friend Candace Owens on my show. <laughs> That's not happen. Well, I would have conversations with um, Waka Flocka or Fifty or you know, or Little Pumper one of them who said that they support and and, and break down what they're saying and give them an understanding of what they're doing because a lot of them don't have, they don't even have knowledge of what they're talking about. And they're going along with, you know, false narratives that are being put on the um, the internet and that they're hearing. And they don't have, like, Little Wayne doesn't know what the platinum plan is. He just looked at somebody, told him it made sense. He probably has no idea what he's saying. So when you sit down and you really have a conversation with them and you break it down from beginning to end, I believe that we can come to some level of understanding and, and really educating people. You posted, but Angela Stanton tweeted out about the Million Maga March where she was supporting it and saying it was good until some N-words came and ruined everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, and then the week before that, I was on TMZ and she wrote um, underneath, someone posted the video of me being on the show mm -hmm. and she wrote on in the comments that black women know how to do everything except keep their babies in their womb or something like that. Wow. And so I wrote, because, you know, sometimes the petty, it, it comes over me and I can't help it. <laughs> I try to fight it, but in this particular situation, I just couldn't help it. And I sent it to Charlemagne and said, and don't tell me to delete it because I'm not. She lost her election by 70 plus percent. In Atlanta, she just ran for to fifteen percent. Oh, see, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So she ran for Congressman Congressman John Lewis's seat, mm -hmm. and people think that black folks are stupid. Like those people weren't just voting for Congressman Lewis because you know they just would, were were like robots. They were voting for him because they believed in something. They had a connection to his work. So when you come in as a person who's talking about carrying Donald Trump's message, there is no way, shape, or form that folks are going to support that. And so they they slapped her down, and I had to write on my page. I thought somebody who lost the election by 70% says nothing. <laughs> like, how are you talking about me? You need to go figure out where you went wrong, miss. Thing. So no, we're not going to get it because I, you know, I probably get into arguments and be looking crazy and then y'all will be texting me. This is not you, Miss Mallory. You know, I don't want to hear that. And they don't realize that it really is you. That really is you. All right, we got more with Tamika Mallory and my song, Don't Move. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Angela Yee, Charlamagne the guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We have Tamika Mallory and my song in the building. Yee. Now, when we do look at everything that's going on in hip-hop right now, and there's been, you know, a lot of unfortunate incidents that have happened in the past few weeks, yeah. what can be done? Because, I, you know, you have to come from a place where you're not preaching and trying to tell people what to do, but what can be done? Yeah. I, I think for me, I think that's where, you know, I play a role in just the movement in general. It's coming from hip hop, being incarcerated, being in the streets, understanding the dynamics of the streets and being able to speak to them. Not like you said, don't preach to them, but let them understand the realities that will come with that life. You know, every day I'm dealing with young kids and, and mentoring young kids. I have an organization called Raising Kings in which that's what we do. We sit down and talk to at-risk youth and have conversations with them and, and explain to them what a real right to passage is and what manhood really looks like. I think what happened with this hip-hop culture is we start identifying the wrong things with manhood and what quote-unquote real was, you know, and we were, we were misled. 
So there has to be a real conversation. People have to be honest and say, yo, that's just not real. It's nothing real about you killing your brother. It's nothing real about you beefing with somebody that you don't even know and you're willing to take his life. That's not real. I don't know who told you that. Anybody who's telling you that is live, we got to be able to call that out and make some make being unified and make loving each other what's in again, what's trendy. You know, we create what cool is. We create the trends. Mm -hmm. I think we also have to understand that this pandemic has made people hungry for real. Hell like yeah. it's a different situation. We going back to the eighties and the nineties when people were hungry, people starved right. and people trying to figure it out because the stimulus money has ran out. They busy, you know, and, and by the way, even if you give people another $1,200 or whatever, it's not enough money for folks to really survive and thrive. So you're going to see more and more violence. And that's why, you know, everybody goes crazy about this whole defund the police topic. But it's important that we understand what defunding the police will give us the opportunity to do. And that is to, re to be able to refund our communities, as my son said, and to put some monies into the things that we need in terms of housing, in terms of food. In Louisville, Kentucky, there is only one supermarket in the entire town. And when there were um, uh, protests happening, that Kroger closed down. And so people were unable to get real food. These are like real live issues that's happening in cities across this country and urban communities, which creates violent situation. So we're going to see more of it until we come to a place where we stop putting, because by the way, the police officers who we came up against many times in Louisville at the protest, oh, they got the best equipment. They like the Apple of police department. They have all of this militarized equipment and yet there are no mental health services. And many of the people who are protesting for Breonna Taylor every single day are folks that don't have real housing. So we have to be able to find balance so that we can take guns out of people's hands and give them the opportunities. Tamika, why do you think Democrats get the messaging of defunding the police all wrong? I think Democrats are scared of everybody except the people who are the base of their uh, party. That's a fact. I think that's the problem. I think that they, that the, the, that they are, uh, and it depends on which Democrats you're talking about. Because if you think about some of the older, more established, and some of the younger, but people who lean towards the older, more establishment politics mm -hmm. of the Democratic Party, and then you think about the Ilhan Omars and others like Alexandria Ocasio, they have no problem saying defund the police. And that tells you that there are two different mindsets that is happening within the party. And by the way, many of the individuals who um, are afraid to to use language like defund have been losing their elections but that's a that's a whole different story now what about you know a lot of people feel like joe biden as far as the presidency was just as worse especially black people was just as worse as Donald Trump. What do you say to those people? Because some people don't I believe ain't no in Biden. different than Trump. Biden ain't no different than... listen those the people time. right there those people right there right are ignoring immediate imminent danger as we, we see does Joe Biden have racism? Yes, he does. He's a racist. I don't believe that any 70-year-old white man doesn't have a level of racism and, and uneducated un in racial sensitivity and understanding certain things. And that's something that Joe Biden is definitely guilty, guilty of. But there's an intentional white supremacist racist mentality that Donald Trump exudes. 
It activates every time he speaks and it's purposely done. So when we look at those two things, we 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 compare the '94 crack bill. I mean the '94 crime bill and the '88 crack, crack bill. '86 right. mandatory things. minimum sentencing. Yep. And we when we talk about those things. We have to realize that those were 20 plus years. But in in 2020, there is a president right now who is out here doing the exact same thing that somebody was doing 20 plus years ago and planning to further that activity. There's one who might want to make amends for that activity that he did 20 years ago. Yeah, what I tell people is Joe Biden has implemented legislation that has ruined way more black people than anything Trump has implemented yet. If Trump would have stayed in that White House, he was already rolling back the war on drugs, mass incarceration, all of that. That first step back was an illusion. But, you know, but I, I think that when you, you know, the whole idea of the two men being alike, yep, I think that it is probably true that they have some similarities. I'm not going to argue with that. But I do know that one of them decided to bring a black woman along. And the other one, every black woman that's been around has been disrespected and treated like trash. Damn. Well, we all have our own responsibilities, too, because once you elect a president, it's not just, okay, let's mm-hmm. wait and hope he does what we need him to do for us. That just means that we have to make sure we keep our foots on their necks to make sure yeah. what we need is done for our community, and that's our responsibility as well. And that's and why that's, that's why I got hope right now, because of, of people like Tamika and my song being on the ground. Pushing. But that's what we did with Obama. We had a party. We went to the Christmas parties, because I was there. And I was smiling. I was taking my picture. You was in the White House, Tamika? I was in the White House several times. The Christmas <laughs> party was a big, big, big deal. When you got that invitation to the Christmas party, you was you was in the you was in the cool crowd. You know what I'm saying? And I was saying we cannot allow uh, the the line dancing to go on Memorial Weekend in May and forget about the work that has to happen. <laughs> so, what what demands do you think need to be placed on the Biden Harris administration? I think we need to. I'm sorry, my son. Go back. You got it. I think we absolutely need to go back to uh, said task force and begin to look into these departments. I think also they need to instruct their FBI and and you know and and the Department of Justice rather forget the FBI. They need to instruct the Department of Justice to look into some of these real serious cases like Breonna Taylor. All right, we got more with Tamika Mallory and my son. Don't move. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. Angela Yee, Charlemagne the guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We have Tamika Mallory and my son in the building. Charlemagne? Now, you know what I wanted to ask y'all? When, when, when do you turn people off? Like, because I, I, going back to Angela and Candace, right? Because in their mind, they feel like they are liberating black people. What, what would you tell them about liberating black people? What do you think they're doing wrong? Who are you talking about? Like your cousins, Tamika. Yeah, those are her cousins. I love, I, listen, I love. You know, I actually like Candace Owens as a person. I've had conversations with her. Um, we sat on a panel together. I wasn't feeling well. She was really, you know, concerned about that. We had a, a good conversation, but you know, all people work for folks. People be trying to get them checks. Like that's really, it's nothing more you can say. You know, I think in Angela Stanton's situation, you you, you think, you, you know, she was pardoned and we get that. And it was a good thing that her story is strong. We know that her story is solid. I love her story. That's why I was attracted to her. But then as you begin to dig deeper into these people who follow Trump, Many of the, it's like cult-like behavior, mm-hmm. you know? And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've been saying over and over again, yes, 
on one hand, we could see some benefit to any administration. There's nobody that's going to come into office and you just say, oh, they did nothing. They just totally did nothing at all. Everybody, just because of the way the government works, there's going to be some push and pull. There'll be some benefits. But overall, it's like looking at Trump, and it's my same argument with Ice Cube. It's my same argument with 50 Cent. It's the same argument I have with all of them. On one side, you might be able to get you a nice house, a nice car. You can get you a diamond ring. But when you get home, the man is going to beat you and bloody your eyes and choke you and damn near kill you. So these things can't be dealt with separately. Mm -hmm. They have to be looked at as an entire pie. If you're going into the administration and you're working with them to get some economic relief, but then on the streets, they're allowing police departments across the nation to beat up on those of us who are fighting for our rights. Those conversations can't be ha can't happen in isolation. They have to happen at the same time. And I, and, and I know I'm, I'm probably talking too much, but I have to say this. It was my same thing, you know, I, I was I was real careful on the Ice Cube thing because I have learned to try my best not to fight with black people in public as much as possible. I've been working on that, especially with black men, because in, at, there have been moments when I've had some real knockdown drag outs with black men in public and it has hurt other black men that I love. Especially as a black woman, I know that our power is so strong that we have to be careful when and how we use our words. And my son does it enough for both of us, so I just let him be the <laughs> one to go out and argue with people all day. And the situation with Ice Cube, it took me a while. I watched, and as I grow, and rather than me speaking on it publicly at first, I sat back and I watched. And he tweeted something the other day that helped me realize that I wasn't wrong for feeling that the way in which they approached the situation with what he was trying to do, which I think was a good thing, but the way in which they approached it, I, I, I already knew that it wasn't, I didn't agree with it. He tweeted a list of names of individuals that he talked to, and he was saying, don't try to tell me that I didn't speak to real people before putting together my plan. And there was not one black woman listed, not uh -huh. one. And I knew right then that if you had the right black woman like Alicia Garza at the table to be a part of the conversation, she would have said, here is the direction that I think we need to take with our people so that we can mitigate any potential harm in this particular election process. She also would have been able to bring forth other things aside from, I know that uh, uh, maternity death is a major problem. That seems to be the only real substantive thing in his plan that has to do with black women. If you don't have a strong black woman at the table, it doesn't have to be Tamika Mallory, but whoever it is that is able to help advise what you're doing your plan is already going in the wrong direction yeah that's crazy coming from cube too because uh i saw when roland tried to connect cube and alicia so it's not like he doesn't know alicia exists right before i sit down and i'm gonna have a conversation with somebody who's been a sworn enemy to me you have to show me some level of change you have to make show me an olive branch before I'm able to endorse you, to sit down with you and have a conversation. I have to see that you're willing to do something to change. Absolutely. Right. Well, thank y'all so much. Always thank appreciate Thank y'all for joining it. us this morning. Congratulations on everything that you guys have going on and definitely love and appreciate y'all so much. So listen, Street Politicians podcast out right now on Black Effect iHeartRadio. Every Wednesday. It's Love y'all. Love y'all so Love. much. Love y'all. Be safe.
It's time for Donkey of the Day. So if you ever feel I need to be a donkey, man, hit me with the heat. Did she get donkey today? Please tell me. I have become donkey of the day. The Breakfast Club, bitches. You're a donkey. Donkey of the day goes to the editor at large and co-anchor of Yahoo Finance's the first trade live morning show, Brian Sazi. Brian, 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 Brian. I will never call someone ignorant, okay, for what they don't know, but I will call you ignorant if you're not willing to learn. Now, I read a headline from you yesterday that I had to put on my Instagram page because it was so completely culturally clueless that it was disgusting. You can go look at it for yourself. My Instagram is God C-T-H-A-G-O-D. It's one of those moments where you realize why diversity matters so much because when you have the large reach that a Yahoo Finance does and you put out this type of misinformation, it's just straight up erasure. Straight up not acknowledging what culturally someone has done. I would go so far as to say this is a colonizer's way of seeing the world because when you are a white, privileged male, you have cultural blind spots because you don't have to pay attention to everybody else. And everything you do see that's a first for you, since you are an almighty, all-knowing white man, must be a first for everyone else, right? In this case, it's not about a first. It's about something that has been a staple in black hip-hop New York culture for years. Okay, what am I talking about, ladies and gentlemen? I'm talking about Timbaland. No, not the legendary producer and one of the architects of the versus battle. I'm talking about Tim's. Classic, wheat-colored, double soles only, six-inch premium, waterproof, waterproof hiking boots that most of us have never hiked in in our lives. Have you ever hiked in a pair of boots, Envy? A pair of Timberlands? No. no. Yeah, have you ever hiked in a pair of Timberlands? I've never hiked, period. Okay. Now, now I don't know if y'all <laughs> saw you, but Senator uh, Kamala Harris, Senator and Vice Presidential nominee <laughs> Kamala Harris, she visited firefighters and toured the scene of the California wildflowers in Fresno, wildfires in Fresno yesterday. And when she stepped off the private jet, she made culturally clueless people of all races go nuts. Okay, let me read you some of these tweets about Kamala Harris and, and, and her Tims. And I put Tims in air quotes. BT. The network that told Envy that he wasn't black enough posted a video of Senator Harris getting off the private jet with the caption, stepping off the jet with the wheat Tims. Hurry up and register to vote. Hashtag Kamala Harris, hashtag vote. I'm disappointed in whoever wrote that tweet uh, from BET because y'all should know better, and I'll tell you why in a second. A young lady named at Lady Nina said, how you roll up to save the country, hashtag Kamala Harris, hashtag Tims. AJ Delgado tweeted out, is she wearing Tims on the campaign trail? And that swagger, the ultimate cool girl. Sarah Pearl on Twitter said, she wears Tims too. And Karen Jean-Pierre from the Biden campaign posted the video of Kamala getting off the jet, and she simply put the Tims. Now, Brian Sazi, I need you to be paying attention right now because, like I said, it's not what you don't know that makes you ignorant. It's what you are not willing to learn. See, after all that excitement people had over Senator Kamala Harris wearing Tims, and I still have Tims in air quotes, Brian wrote an article for Yahoo Finance. The headline of that article said, Kamala Harris may have made Timberland boots cool again. I repeat, Brian Sazi, editor at large for Yahoo Finance, wrote an article that said Senator Kamala Harris, who I love, by the way, may have made Timberlands cool again. Wow. I've been reading all these articles about New York being dead, but this headline is really taking the Big Apple disrespect to another level. Since when have Tim's not been cool? 
Okay, Brian, I know you're the, you're the editor at large at Yahoo Finance, but it has to be at least one person of the culture who works at Yahoo Finance who is looking at this headline today in disgust and is complaining about the fact that y'all don't know what the hell y'all talking about in regards to culture up there at Yahoo Finance. Brian, we live in a world now where you can really treat our culture like a safari based on who you follow on social media. If you follow people from, you know, uh, 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 various, okay, cultures. If you follow people from various cultures, you will see how disgusted people who know culture were over Kamala Harris's Tims. Don't listen to the political liberal crowd. White or black. Because they are culturally clueless too. That's why they don't know how to communicate their messaging to the American people. That is why there is a disconnect now, okay? And Senator Kamala Harris's Tims prove it. Okay? Let's go look at the other side of Twitter, shall we? My man Master Ace. Master Ace is from Brooklyn, right? Master Ace said, and I quote, those are not Tims. Even if Timberland made those shoes, I, as a native New Yorker, must repeat, those are not Tim's. No need for Master Ace to explain. If you know, you know. Randy C. Millard posted a meme of Jesus and Merrill saying, F out of here with the caption Kamala Harris had on the wrong Tim's. A brother named at NFL Malik on Twitter said, I'm really dying laughing still at them Kamala Harris Tim's. He, he too put Tim's in air quotes. And the fact that so many people from outside the culture are celebrating them joints as a relating point, not knowing all Tim's ain't good Tim's. That right there sums up today's donkey of the day in a tweet. Brian Sazi of Yahoo Finance wrote a whole article saying Kamala Harris may have made Tim's cool again, as if Tim's have ever been anything less than cool. Brian wrote in his article, what better validation of Timberland's ruggedness mixed with comfort than Senator Harris's entire day in them. Don't talk to me about comfort and ruggedness of Timberland's if you have not found a way to wear them year-round like my brother Wax or my man is Biscuit. Until you've worn Tim's on the beach like Wax and Is Biscuit and Deezus from Deezus and Merrill, don't tell me about ruggedness mixed with comfort. Okay, Brian Sazo said, what better signal to shoppers that Tim's could be cool again Maybe not early 90s cool, but cool now that Harris is wearing a sneaker-like version of the iconic footwear. That right there is the problem, Brian. Sneaker-like version of Tim's. We don't do that, okay? No. Just go read under my comments on Instagram. All right, Sim, our Sim here at iHeart says, it looks like she has on the single soul Tim's blasphemy. Rocky Thunder said, those the Burlington Coat Factory butters. Willie Word. D from the Ghetto Boys said in reference to you, Brian, his mama should be embarrassed and his daddy should have pulled out. No more talk. My man Eugene, who works at the NAACP, said, and I quote, if we weren't fighting 45, she would have lost my vote on the lace-up alone. Poor mm -hmm. Senator Kamala Harris was cutting off all circulation to her ankles the way she had those boots tied, like she really had them tied, like she was going to work on somebody's construction site. The moral of the story is, Tim's have always been cool, Brian. In fact, Jimmy Choo released a collab with Tim's this week. Real Tim's, the six-inch wheat premium joints. Not whatever Senator Harris had on. And that's not her fault. But clearly, she don't have anyone around her to tell her what Tim's to rock and how to rock them. If you're watching us on Revolt TV, please, please, Revolt, put up this picture of AOC, okay? Do you see that picture of AOC up on the screen? That's her with Jesus and Meryl. That's the kind of Tim's you rock, and that is how you rock them, okay? That was last year. I, I believe, right? I think that was last year. You know why she had those on last year, Brian? Because Tim's have always been cool. <laughs> Please let Chelsea Handler give Brian Sazi of Yahoo Finance the biggest hee-haw. Hee-haw, hee-haw. That is way too much Dan Mayonnaise.
So let's send Senator Harris the right pair of Tims. And yes. Jimmy Chu, if y'all want to send us a pair for Senator Harris, hit us up because uh, I'll get Senator Kamala Harris's sizes and, and we're going to get her the right pair of Tims. Mina, we got to keep your aunt right. Maya, yeah. we got to keep your sister right. Okay? Yeah. These off-white Tims are kind of dope. Keep it locked. We have more coming up next. It's The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. You're checking out the world's most dangerous morning show. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne Tha Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest on the line. Introduce her right. Debbie Brown, Chief Impact Officer at Chopra Global. Passionate advocate for women of color and wellness. Master well-being educator. Mariah Carey in the face ass person. Oh. <laughs> it was good for a little bit. It was going good. And it just took a left. Debbie Brown. Good morning, Deb. Oh, good morning, family. You guys are I congratulations first and foremost on being legends and making history with the Radio Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And congratulations to you for all of the important work that you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you. How you hold it up during the pandemic? How was that for you? You know what? I got to say, uh, wildly challenging off top, but mm -hmm. it's been probably one of the best years of my life. Really? Why? You know, I really deepened my spiritual journey. Uh, I was already on this path and I was, you know, kind of diligently doing the work. And then this gave me opportunity to kind of deepen some of that healing, to understand uh, ways in which to help other people heal. And, you know, this time it, I feel like it's been challenging for quite a, a lot of people because so many are meeting themselves for the first time, you know, spending that much time with themselves and being in their thoughts. But if you let it, it can be so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You get to the root of anything that was holding you back. You have the chance to cultivate a really deep, beautiful internal relationship with self. There's just a, there's a lot of opportunity to it. Well, let's talk about your journey and how this became your calling. Yes. How you well, went from Chuck I Taylor's to Chakras. <laughs> well, y'all know I started in radio, uh, born and raised in LA. You know, I the thing that led me to radio was I was so deeply curious about storytelling, curious about myself, curious about the world. Like radio is one of the most sacred, in my opinion, art forms. Like you get to share space in someone's mind. And I loved it for so long. But then when I started my journey, I just found that I was really called to study metaphysics. I was really called to study trauma and I kind of just found myself not easily being able to stay up on current events or, you know, really wanting to just talk about some other things. And so I pivoted and I went into to the self-care, wellness, mindfulness world, which I did it kind of before the big bang hit on social media of wellness. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was very uncharted territory. I didn't know if I made the right choice for a long time. <laughs> But I stuck with it, and I felt, you know, I just feel like my calling is to help people heal. You know, we, we throw these terms around, Deb. We say, you know, mental health. We say mindfulness. We say wellness. We say healing. What What is all of that to you, and in particular, mindfulness? What is that to you? So mindfulness is, it's really rooted in a slowing down. Um, kind of, you know, the very simplified term would be to be mindful, to have things kind of top of mind, to have a seed of intention that's been planted, and that's the way you're navigating your spiritual values in the world. But what I think it is more clearly, and I think a lot of the conversation around healing, it's like mental health here, 
mindfulness wellness here and it's like you have to have both and they have to be integrated for you to really live the fullest life possible you have to do some of that deeper trauma healing which mental health is so great for talk therapy somatic therapy is so beautiful for but you also need that piece that makes it real for you and not just stuck in your brain not just intellectualizing it it has to come down to your heart so that you can actually embody and live it why do mental health and mindfulness go hand in hand you think well, you have to have integration. So you have to have the mind, body, soul connection to have the full experience of being a whole human being. And a lot of times when we just focus on the mental health point, which is just incredibly important, but when we just focus on that, you're missing so many other opportunities to love yourself, to get to know yourself. You know, part of part of the reason we're so disconnected from ourselves is because we feel foreign in our own bodies, especially if you're a person of color. You know, you were trained through systemic racism, through years of ancestral trauma to not really feel safe in your own body. And so self-care is really such a radical form of revolution for us as people of color to really be able to sit inside yourself and enjoy where you're spending that time to be able to even touch yourself, to love your body, you know, to feel yourself. It's so, so important. And I think so many people don't realize how rare that is, especially depending on your circumstance. You know, even to hold eye contact with another person is so sacred and intimate. And so many people have uh, a real a real challenge being able to do that because of how they experience themselves. What was the turning point for you that, that got you that that got you really into it? Was it something that you seen? Was it some trauma that happened to you? Was it a fringe trauma? Like what got you so into it? When I started really investigating myself, looking back at my history, looking back at my experiences and seeing what I thought they meant about me. So much of the things that happened to us when we're children, even if they're not major, you know, perceived major traumas, they plant these seeds of how we grow to feel about ourselves and how we grow to see the world. And so when I started really investigating, like, why do I think this way? Why do I feel that way? Why do I experience like a charge in my chest or an anxiety when this happens? And you slowly start peeling back the layers and before you know it, it's like this memory as a three-year-old of misinterpreting something that happened that planted a seed that you built upon and built upon and built upon. And before you knew it, you know, you were in a space where maybe you didn't really care about yourself or you didn't think you were worth it or worthy. Really all the human experience is, is remembering your wholeness. For people who want to get started on a spiritual journey, but don't know where to begin, what would you tell them? would be one of the first steps. Oh man, you know, one of the first steps is just really setting the intention to become more and to be better. There's so much power in planting the seed of intention. Um, and you can do that with affirmations, you know, depending especially on your cultural belief system, there is so much, um, so many family systems that really restrict your ability to connect to yourself and so many belief systems that tell you you have to have a middleman to get to the divine, to get to God. But God resides in all of us. Like our ability to grow and transcend is always there. You know, and I think in the mindfulness world, whatever you like to call your higher power, if you believe in one, it's really just saying, I'm ready to become more, show me how. Or something I love saying to myself um, is, God, please show me the deeper truth of who I am. And then I disconnect from whatever that answer is and I let the answers just slowly show up and the right teachers or the right readings or the right conversations just begin to populate your life in a really delicious way. <laughs> Can negative energy attract positive energy, Dev? No. Impossible. No. 
Yeah, it's impossible. You know, it's um, the energetic exchange is such a deeply powerful and sacred experience. And when you're rooted in negativity, we're each the we're each the co-creators of our life. So we're in co-creation with divine power, or whatever you like to call that higher power, mm-hmm. to really manifest the life of your highest vision. When we hold on to those seeds of negativity or we consider ourselves to be stuck or unworthy of more, which typically if you're negative, it's because you've given up a belief that you can have more or that you deserve more. And when you give into that mind frame, it doesn't allow any cracks in your wounds for the light to get through. So it's really hard from that space to be able to attract positivity, which is not to say you won't encounter some, but you just may not be able to recognize it when it shows up. Keep it locked. We have more coming up next. It's The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, let's talk about this podcast. How do you give out gems in this podcast? Dropping gems. It's a lot. Yeah. You know, I'm really connected to just demystifying the journey. Um, I talk about things like my own musings, observations I'm having about the world, observations I'm having about myself as I do the work. I have guests on, you know, I had Charlemagne on the show talking about really unpacking his journey. I would love to have you, Envy. I would love to have you, Angela. So note to self. Tell them where we take uh, that at, though. Stun on them real quick. Well, we were just on a little vacation in Mexico, but that's neither. Here at your yet. house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, at your crib in Cabo. All right, you're trying to get me robbed at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, no, but so in this season, so it's really talking to people about their journeys because so many people think they can't approach this work because they don't have this ideal thing happening or they they haven't reached this level of success. So, oh, of course it's easy for you. And it's really about getting into like the cellular level of like, how did that switch start happening? How did you start allowing yourself to see the world differently and to shift? And in this season, I'm really excited because we're deep diving into a lot of metaphysics. I have incredible guests coming on the show, people doing deep work in decolonizing the mental health field, joy and pleasure work, really bringing pleasure to the forefront as a way to help women heal, um, using orgasms to manifest. We talk about that on the show this what? season. <laughs> yeah, we, we're getting there. You know, there, there's a lot of facets to this wellness. It's not just meditation. There's so many healing modalities and so many tools to be on this journey. And so this season, I'm really trying to unpack it. So for people that are like, oh, I can't meditate. There's no way. Or, oh, that looks weird. This looks weird. I'm really looking to present so many different entry points for this path. How did you break through with Charlemagne? I mean, because, you know, (laughs) we talk, I mean, I mean, we're being honest, you know, Charlemagne a long time and you know how he was, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Dev is so important He used to make fun of people all the time. You know, how did you get him out out of that that where he's changed a little bit where, you know, I'm seeing him, you know, walking outside with his bad toes, you know, hugging trees (laughs) and things like that. Like, how did you get him to that part? Well, Charlemagne has divine light on him. So I think that is always been in his cards since he was born to live this really beautifully big life. Uh, I think, you know, it's like Charlemagne gets all the credit for that. He's done the work, you know, he's deep dived into himself. And I think that it's so hard to look at yourself for real. You know, we get so caught in this idea of shame or this idea of what we don't deserve or this idea that past decisions that we've made have to define what the rest of our life is gonna look like, especially with cancel culture. And I think it's so important that, you know, we allow people the room to stretch and to grow. Like as a society, we can only expand as the highest level of consciousness that we possess. He's super woke now. Now, when I seen Charlamagne (laughs) hugging a tree and holding a tree, 
and walking around in the grass with his ugly toes? I said, Charlotte. First of all, I had a pedicure. You did not have a pedicure. Number two, that was called grounding, sir. Okay, I was centering myself. I be hugging trees too, so. Why is that important? Tell them why grounding is important. Oh, we have to get anchored, you know. So when we're on earth and we're experiencing this human experience, this as spiritual beings, we have to ground. We have to remember to get centered and a great mechanism to do that is connecting with nature and really being able to behold the functions of the world and behold God's beauty and God's grace. And it's so important to do breath work. It's so important to plant your feet in soil, to plant your feet in the ground, to get restored, to experience sunshine on your skin and really hold space uh, to be mindful in those moments and to experience all the little joys that come with it. You know, De- Dev is so important. You know, she she's one of the most important people in my life. But the reason I feel you're so important to the culture is because you are hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Watching you grow from Tupac to Deepak has been one of the, the greatest joys in, in, in my life. And I want to ask you, like, what, what did Tupac do to open up your third eye? Uh, you know, the thing that I thought that I always connected to so deeply with Tupac was how multifaceted he was and how awake he was at such a young age. You know, we forget, and obviously are there problematic lyrics? Was there some problematic behavior? 100%. But most of what we saw of Pac was him 24 and under. And the fact that he was able to showcase the array of human emotions and human experiences, I always connected to, you know, I've always, always, since I was a little girl, been fascinated by transformation. You know, Pac said it so well, he he and figures, these really archetypal figures like him, like Oprah, you know, they spark the they spark that thing in your brain that lets you know you can have more, you can think more, you can be more. Thank yeah. You. And, you know, for, for us all, I think, because we all know Dev on our, you know, on a, a different type of level for different purposes. But I've always trusted you. So I trust in this. Oh, Angela, thank you. Me and Angela used to be in the streets. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up, you know, but yeah. <laughs> Girls trips to Miami and the streets in LA and New York. Yes. I want to talk about your book real quick. I want to talk about Crystal Bliss because, you know, Crystal Bliss. I want. What are the benefits of gems and crystals? Dev sends me gems. She sends me crystals. <laughs> I buried some in that tree you saw me hugging. I had buried, I buried some at the root of that. What are the benefits of gems and crystals? Yeah, crystals are such a beautiful accompaniment. And you know, I think there's there's so much education around mindfulness that has to happen for the BIPOC community because it's so much of it is misunderstood or people were giving given false narratives through different systems of belief of what to stay away from, but people don't really even know, you know, what these things are, what they do. And I think crystals are such a beautiful accompaniment to whatever work that you're doing. They harness so much beautiful energetic power. Um, And it's believed that, you know, crystals, different crystals, there's hundreds, you know, sometimes into the thousands, even those, those aren't readily available, but there's so many to choose from and they all emanate energy. Do you get upset when you see people who seem to be like, you know, using, it's like performative wellness, you know, they're, they're selling crystals, they're, they're practicing, they're, they're teaching mindfulness and like, but they really haven't done the work. Yeah, I think, you know, I wouldn't say I get upset about it. I think it's dangerous for the people that are perhaps spending money or buying into things with someone who just isn't ready to teach yet. I think we all possess the ability to be teachers and guides for other people based on the work that we do. But this is the era of the expert, right? Like this is the era where everybody is marketing themselves and selling themselves. And so I just think it's important that if you do feel called to be in this field, you do the work. When you do this trauma work, 
it's so sacred. You don't want to open people up to this raw space and then not have the tools to help them navigate through it. Debbie Dell yes. Dropping Gems podcast will be out today everywhere that you listen to podcasts via the Black Effect iHeartRadio podcast network. Deb, you know I love you with all my heart. I love you so much. And everybody, if you want to meditate with me every day, download the Chopra app. I lead daily meditation seven days a week there. Thank you, Deb. The Chopra app. I love you guys. Love you too. Love you too. Peace. Good morning, everybody. It's DJ MV Angela Yee. Charlamagne the God, we are the Breakfast Club. Now, um, it's time to end on a positive note. You got a positive note, Charlamagne? Positive note is simply don't let the behaviors of others destroy your inner peace. Breakfast club, bitches! Y'all finished or y'all done?